have a lesson on faith, a lesson on forgiveness, and a lesson on what we might call first things first. But first, that lesson in faith. Look at verse 20 of Mark 11. It says, Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, he said to him, speaking to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you may receive them and you will have them. You know, prayer is such an important part of our life. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. And that's why this lesson is so important. Now, we read last time about Jesus cursing the fig tree in verses 12 through 14. And as he cursed the fig tree, it symbolized judgment on the Jews and really judgment on anyone who would reject the love of God. And so here it is the next day, and Peter is in absolute awe of the way that the tree that Jesus cursed is down and dead and withered away from the roots. And so he says, Rabbi, look, the, the fig tree that you cursed yesterday is now withered away. And so Jesus, he uses this incident to teach his disciples a lesson in faith and the power of prayer. You know, he says to them right there, he says, have faith in, in God. Not faith in yourself, not faith in other men, not faith in faith. Have faith in God. You know, I think of that passage in Hebrews 11 and verse 6. It says, but without faith it is impossible to please him because he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, and for us today, we have to ask that question, do we believe that he is? You know, do we believe in this maker, the maintainer, not just in our head, but in our heart? And if we do, then nothing, nothing's too hard. There's no mountain too big. There's nothing that God can't do through you. When you pray, you know, Jesus speaks of that faith to, to move mountains. Think about it, that whatever, that mountain uprooted and then just cast into the sea. You know, Warren Wiersbe said, in Jewish imagery, a mountain signifies something strong and immovable. It's a problem that, that stands in the way. It's in someone's life and they're trying to go in that direction and it's in the way. It's some problem. It's some person. It's some matter in your life it's a mountain and i think all of us here we're, we either have it now we're going to have it you know in the future mountains that need to be moved if you do and when you do you guys 
We need to have faith in God. You know, in verse 23, Jesus says that we are not to doubt in our heart. You know, uh, we can't come and say, oh Lord, I, I pray you'd move that mountain. I'm not really sure if you can. It's, it's kind of big. I wonder if you want to. I, I never seem to know your will. I'm not even sure if you hear me or if you're there, but Lord, I'm kind of throwing up a prayer just in case that you'd move the mountain by chance. Maybe you can help me out here. I kind of think maybe you're there. Lord says, no, that's not how you pray. When you pray, you come to God and you know that he is and you know that he's able. And when you do, you move mountains. Now, maybe there's a non-believer who would come to God like that or maybe a new believer, but not a seasoned saint. You know, not someone who's read passages like this where Jesus tells us point blank, don't doubt. You know, we're not wishing on a star. We're not blowing out candles on some cake. We're talking to God. You know, as one person said, faith does not wish or hope or desire. Faith receives. Even Abraham Lincoln said, faith is not believing that God can. It's believing that God will. Believe it or not, that's how Christians, when they know the word of God and they know the will of God, how they move the hand of God. It's amazing. Now, I'm not saying that we speak our will into existence by our word. I'm not saying that. The Bible's not saying that. You know, there are those out there who teach that. They name it and claim it. You guys probably heard they blab it and grab it. People like Benny Hinn or Kenneth Copeland or you know, Kenneth Hagen or Fred Price, Creflo Dollar. Who would give their money to a guy named Creflo Dollar? I don't understand these people, you know. I mean, others that are influenced by them, more of in a soft way, like a Joel Osteen or a Joyce Meyer, and they teach things like this. You've got to be very careful. People on television actually teach that we are little gods and that we speak things in and out of existence. No, there's only one God, and you ain't God. Neither am I. You know, they'll tell you, well, if you want a Bentley, you know, just speak it in Jesus' name. And whatever you do, they say, don't say anything negative. Don't admit any weakness or sickness. And that's what they say. I mean, you can be there with a fever and chills and mocos coming down, you know, to your <laughs> mouth, and they'll tell you, well, don't speak it. Don't say you're sick. Dude, you're sick, man. You, you need to go to the doctors, man. They'll tell you that's faith. But you know what? That's not faith. You want to know why? Because faith is firmly rooted in God's word. That's why. Romans 10, 17, it says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so as you study the Bible, you study the word, and you hear the promises of God is laid out in the scriptures, you know, you believe it, and you don't doubt. You just believe, and then you receive. And that's why it's so cool. Read your Bible, because it's filled, it's flooded with promises that we can lay hold of. I mean, if you ever find yourself in a situation you don't know what to do, you ask God for wisdom, and he promises every single time to give wisdom. In James chapter 1 and verse 5, 
through 7, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. See, when we pray, we stand on God's promise, and we believe. God, here I am in my life, and I want this crossroads. I don't know what to do, but I am receiving the wisdom that you promised to give me. And I want to do your will, and I need your wisdom, and I'm willing to follow you. Lord, show me what to do. And if you listen, he'll show you. It's a promise that we can believe and that we can receive and we don't have to have a sliver of doubt that God will guide your life. doesn't matter how old you are, young. It doesn't matter, old. You've been walking with the Lord for many years. I promise you that God will come to you and he'll grab you by the hand and say, Mijo, let's go. I've got a life for you to live. He will give you wisdom. And let me tell you something, that's, that's way more important than wealth. You know, God promises to give wisdom. And we as Christians, we need that. You know, we got to know that faith is based on God's word, filled with his God promises. Another thing that's very important when you're praying these prayers and you want to have faith is that faith is based on the word of God. Faith is based on the will of God. A very important passage is 1 John 5.14. It says, now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so the key is know his will. If he wants you to have a Bentley, I'm not sure why he would because it would probably make you stumble, but if he wanted you to, then you can, you can claim it. You know, and what ends up happening, and I don't know if you guys know this or not, but we have a personal God who speaks to our heart if we listen. God's will is wisdom. I'm not sure about wealth. I do know this. God will provide our needs because the Bible promises that. In Philippians 4, 19, he said, my people will never be beggars for bread. He said they will never lack. So we know that he will always provide our needs, but that doesn't mean we're going to get our greeds, right? It doesn't mean that you're going to win the lottery. I mean, go ahead and buy a ticket if you want. It's between you and the Lord, man. But there's nowhere in God's word, because I have been looking, there's nowhere where it says you're going to win the lottery, okay? <laughs> and so it's in the, in the word, it's rooted there, it's God's objective word. I do believe that. But there's also the subjective part of it. There's the personal promises that God will give you. And what you'll find as you live your life as a believer, as a Christian, is God will speak to you and he'll tell you things that you need to hear when you're really listening. That's why it's so important to draw near, have quiet time with God, get on your knees, listen to him, and he'll give you promises that you can possess. And then when he speaks to you and he gives you a word, never doubt in the dark what he's shown you in the light. That's what he's saying. You know, there's plenty of promises that we see in the Bible. One of my favorites is 
the one that God gave Abraham. You know, um, one night, Abraham, man, 70, 75, 90 years old, and, you know, God calls him out into the night, and God says, I want you to look up at the sky, and I want you to check out all the stars. Have you guys ever gone, like, maybe to a place outside of Los Angeles where you can see the stars? Are they amazing or what? You know, one time we went to the Grand Canyon and then, you know, we drove down the road. It was just really a clear, dark night. We looked up at the skies and we saw the gazillion stars out there. The Lord said, Abraham, look up at the stars. It doesn't matter that you're, you know, 90 years old. So shall your descendants be. And the Bible says that Abraham believed in God and was accounted to him for righteousness. I mean, it was a promise that was given to him personally, and he believed it. And you see, that's what God does in our life. But you got to get out, you got to check out the stars, you got to listen to his voice. And he'll work, and you can pray and believe and receive and it's just amazing i mean we read god's word studiously and earnestly but we also listen to that still small voice sensitivity to the holy spirit and then we place our faith in that promise that he gives to us you know i've taught to so many people and they tell me the things that god has promised to them and they're just standing on that promise by faith I mean, even in this building that we're in right here is a testimony. You know, when we first started the church, first we were in a house, and then we started meeting at the park, and we were looking for a building to be in. Now, to get a building nowadays, it's got to be the Lord, because cities don't want churches. They don't want buildings because, you know, for churches, because it takes away their tax revenue. And so as we're looking for a building, you know, we're a small church and, uh, you know, went to the city and we told them we would like to get this building to have our church services in. And the guy said, there is no way you will ever get that building. No, no, and a thousand times no, and don't even bother applying for your conditional use permit. And so I walked away from that, you know, exchange with the guy there at the city of El Monte, and I just thought, oh, well, Lord, we tried. And the Lord said, no, you didn't. <laughs> he said, no. He said, no. He said, no. But I say, yes. I'm like, what? The Lord said, yeah, it's yours. Really? Well, they just said, no. They told me, don't apply. They said, don't waste the $2,000. Lord, we don't have an extra $2,000 to just throw away. And God said, I'm giving it to you. And so we went back and we applied in spite of the fact that they told us no. And as we're going along every single step of the way, no, 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 until finally they voted and guess what they said? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why? How does that happen? It's the Lord. If God is for us, who can be against us? And God will give you promises that you can hold on to. And as you believe, not only saying things, but stepping out, you will receive. You see, 
I mean, it's, 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 it's got to be rooted in his word that he speaks to us in the Bible or he speaks to us personally. It can't just be things that we manufacture out of our own desires. You know, when I was reading this story right here, to be honest with you, I thought about this. Seriously, I thought about this. There is a tree in my backyard that I hate. <laughs> and the reason is, is because it grows so fast and the leaves go into our neighbor's house and then they fall into his pool. And so, you know, they come knocking at their door and say, hey, you got to trim that tree. And every time we trim the tree, it costs hundreds of dollars. And so uh, what I thought is, Lord, how about if I just go out there and curse the tree, you know? <laughs> and then it'll fall down and then it'll wither up from the roots. What do you say? And the Lord's like, nah. <laughs> You know, we want to do it for our own selfish reasons, and, you know, who knows, maybe God's just trying to teach me to trim the tree myself. I, I probably should get there. But, man, you know, it's not for our own agenda. It's for what the Lord will show us. And as we have faith and we believe, then we will receive. You will do the impossible. Well, I can't walk this walk as a Christian. I can't break the chains of the addictions of the drugs and the alcohol and the crystal meth and the pornography. I just can't seem to get beyond, you know, this mountain that's in front of me. It just won't move. Believe. Believe today. Believe. Have faith in God. And he will set you free. He will move the mountain. You will walk as a Christian. You will walk on water. He will bless your marriage, your life, the calling that he has for you. Have faith in God. You know, what does the Bible say? Hebrews 11.1 1, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith sees the invisible, and by faith we do the impossible. You know, the Bible says that just shall live by faith, and that means we get saved by faith, and that means we get sanctified by faith. It's a life of faith. And one person said, it is faith that brings power. Not merely praying or weeping or struggling, but believing, daring to believe the word. Remember this, because I know we fall short, but I'll tell you something. God is blessed when you believe in him. One person said, it is never our merit that God looks at, but our faith. And there's a lesson here on faith. You know, there's power to prayer. You know, we watch the X-Men and we think, oh, Wolverine or whoever it is that you like and their powers and what they can do that's beyond the norm. That's us as Christians. We have a lesson on, on, on faith. We have a lesson on forgiveness because all this is a part of prayer. Look at verse 25. He says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And so there's Jesus trying to encourage us in our prayer life and he's saying, well, if you want to really you know, see 
power in your prayer, then you've got to have faith. But number two, you've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. You know, he talks about people standing and praying there in verse 25. And according to the scriptures, you can stand or you can kneel when you pray or sit. You can lie down. Um, just don't fall asleep, I would say, you know. But, you know, the spiritual posture is what's most important. It's not the physical posture, right? The spiritual standing and condition of the heart is rooted in that beautiful truth, you guys, that we are free, we are forgiven. You know, when you place your faith in Christ, you're his child, and now we can enter in, right? That's really the most important thing. But as we're entering in, Jesus says, if you really want to see your prayer life, you know, blossom and, and just powerful, then you got to make sure that when you go in that you have forgiven those that have offended you. You know, one of the things that gets in the way and hinders our prayer life to where there's no power in prayer is unforgiveness. And that's why Jesus brings it up because it's a common pitfall to not only a, a horrible prayer life, but a horrible life. Is there anyone in your life that you need to forgive? You know, Thomas Adams, he said that he that demands mercy and shows none breaks the bridge over which he himself is called to pass. Here Jesus makes it very clear. He says, if you don't forgive others, then neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Yeah, but Lord, you don't know the way they've wronged me. Do you know the way you've wronged God? You ever thought about that? I mean, we have people that have done us wrong. I have people that, man, they are lining up to fall in love with people that hate me. And I'm like, Lord, you know, like, look at what they're doing. And the Lord says, you know, forgive them. It doesn't necessarily mean, like, I'll use a silly example. Let's just say you get a babysitter and they abuse your child. It doesn't mean you, you hire him as a babysitter again, but you forgive him. You forgive them from the heart, and you want to know what? Let them know you forgive them. Set yourself free. That's what God is saying. You know, when we look at this right here, we got to know that if we don't forgive, we're not forgiven. There was a man that came to John Wesley, and he said to John Wesley, I never forgive. You know people like that? <laughs> I never forgive. And John Wesley said, then I hope you never sin. Because <laughs> if you don't forgive, then you're not going to be forgiven. Why is our prayer life so weak? Because our forgiveness is. A lot of times that's the problem. You know, when you get a chance, I encourage you to read Matthew 18, 21 through 35, where Jesus told the parable of the unforgiving servant. When Peter came up to Jesus one day and he said, how often should I forgive, Lord? Up to seven times? He thought he was being generous. And you know, we have those people in our life, they do it over and over and over and over again. And part of us wants to say, three strikes and you're out. Sometimes parents are like that. You know what? Be careful. Forgive them. Because Jesus went on to say, no, not just seven times, but seven times 70. And so what do we do? We break out the calculator, right? Okay, man, <laughs> you're getting close. 
And the Lord is saying, no, you just keep forgiving them the way that I forgive you. You know, when you read Matthew 18, the Lord says that we're supposed to forgive from the heart. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think the Lord wants us to forgive our brothers? You want to know part of the reason is because we're family. You know, we're family, really, in humanity, especially in the Christian realm. And that's why he wants us to forgive, right? You know, as a father, my wife and I, we're getting a little older. I'm really getting older. She's not. But it just, you know, we, we'll, we'll talk to our kids. And every once in a while, I don't know if you parents ever can relate to this, but, you know, the kids, sometimes they'll butt heads, right? And one of the things that my wife and I are trying so hard to establish before we die is that they would get along that they would have a commitment to always know who they are. They are brother and sister. They are family. Because when mom and dad are gone, that's who they have. And in one sense, the Lord is kind of like that. He's kind of saying, you know, you guys need to forgive because you're forgiven and you need to forgive because you're family. And if you don't, the Lord says, then I can't forgive you. You know, we can't change the past. I know that. But when you forgive, you change the future. And you change your future. And you change their future. That's how powerful forgiveness is. When you forgive, you will reap the benefits relationally, prayerfully, and personally. One gal said, as we practice the work of forgiveness, we discover more and more that forgiveness and healing are one. I'll be honest with you, when I was going through this study right here and I'm in my garage, I'm thinking, Lord, I got to send out some text messages. I got to make some phone calls. I got to send out some letters. I got to do some visitations. I got to make sure Again, not necessarily that people are going to be right there, whatever, restored in some position. No, but that they know my position, that I forgive. Because I want to move mountains. I want to walk on water. I want God to answer my prayers. And he says, then you have to forgive. Ephesians 4.32 is such an important passage. I, I encourage you, memorize that one. It says, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted." forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. So we're to forgive others as God has forgiven us. How has he forgiven us? The answer is in Isaiah 43, verse 25, where God says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That's how God forgives. He forgets. Is that how you forgive? Why is it that a lot of times when we say we forgive, we bring it up over and over and over again? Well, you remember what you did 10 years ago? You know, and over and over and over and over and over and over again, you're throwing it in their face, you're throwing it in their face, you're throwing it in their face. And what you're doing is you're paralyzing your prayer life. 
Now we see in our lesson today um, the power of prayer and how important faith and forgiveness is. But it ultimately, at the end of the day, what we see is the power of Jesus. Because look in verse 27. It says, Then they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, they came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you the authority to do these things? But Jesus answered and said to them, Well, I also will ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. So they answered and said to Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Where did Jesus get his power? By what authority did he do these things? He went into the temple and he cleaned house. He drove out the money changers and those that were selling sacrifices in the court of the Gentiles. It was supposed to be a place where they prayed. And Jesus went in there and he drove them all out. Where did Jesus get his authority? Probably one of the most important questions that you will ever ask. Where did he get the authority to heal, to die and then to rise again? The authority came from the Almighty. It was truth from the top. And we need to understand this. Whatever you do, don't be like these guys right here. They're like oh, asking questions about Jesus when they really didn't want any answers. There are some people who choose not to follow Christ, but they don't really have a good reason not to. You know, while so many people are dying, so many people are dying, if there's a God, why are so many people dying? Well, let me ask you a question. Where are so many people living? <laughs> Where did life come from? Well, there's so much hatred. What about love? Where did love come from? Look at Jesus. He died and rose again. He conquered the coffin. He gutted the grave. Well, yeah, they just say, you look at the evidence. It's overwhelming. It's etched in history. He defeated death. He gave us life. All you got to do is believe and receive and you'll experience it. Well, if, you know, there's a God, you know what, if he shows himself to me, then I'll believe. I mean, there's already enough evidence. Where did this whole world come from? Accident? That would be like saying there was an explosion in a print shop and out comes a dictionary. That would be like saying there was an explosion in a junkyard and out comes this wonderful 747 jet plane or something. How ridiculous it would think that this universe is here by random chance. And yet some people are like that. And so what the Lord does is, is he says, well, I won't answer your question un until you answer mine. It was a common rabbinical practice of the day and he just said, the baptism of John, where did it come from? And, you know, they thought they were done with John. Oh, that's the past. He's dead. He's done. No, he's not. You're trying to run away from him who was such a wonderful witness and you can't run. 
Where was John? Where, where does he get his authority? They, they didn't want to answer. You know, and a lot of times what ends up happening in life is people, they don't really want to, you know, face the things that they, they have to. You know, and the Lord basically is saying, you're not going to receive any new truth until you first settle the one that I've already given to you. For some people here today, maybe first things first means that you got to, today's the day. Believe in the God who made you. Today's the day. You commit your heart to him. He died and rose again, and all he's saying is, in my love, come and receive the free gift of salvation, and I'll wash away your sins. I'll set you free. I'll give you life. When you die, you'll go to heaven. I mean, it just breaks my heart to think that this Thursday we're burying a 21-year-old young girl who was in a car accident. Little did she know that that would be the day that she would die. God wants us to be ready for that day. And so we need to know where his authority comes from. You know, is this true or is it not? I pray that we would know all these things are true and that as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, then we will go to heaven. You know, today we learn about the power of prayer but really, ultimately, I think we celebrate, we learn, is, is the power of Jesus. And let me just close with this before we have communion today. Um, what's the most powerful thing that Jesus can do? What's the most powerful thing that he has done? You know, and you might think, well, it was the way that he spoke the universe into existence by the power of his word, because there are billions of stars in every single galaxy, and there are billions of galaxies out there. You know, you might think that's the most powerful thing he can do, or, you know, you might look at other things, and the cell, or, you know, the telescope, the microscope, I don't know, but in all reality, and I think we know the most powerful thing he could do is forgive you. And when you place your faith in him, he does. He washes away all your sins. You're free. You're forgiven. Because he died. He loves you. And the Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If you're here today and you need to do that, just come. Take a step of faith. I know we can't see God. You're like, well, I just want to see God. One day you will. You see, that's what faith is. It sees the invisible. And when you take that step of faith, like when I did, I'll never forget when I got saved, I saw him. He came into my life. And he wants to come into your life.
Jesus said, behold, I, I stand and I knock at the door. And if anyone hears me and opens, I will come in and I will sup with him and he with me. But there is only a doorknob on the inside. Only you can open that door and let Jesus in. I pray that you would today.